Yo, it is Stocks and Bars, the stock market hip-hop podcast, the only place where you will find finance mixed with hip-hop. And today, family, who I have with me is a professional trader. Our special guest today is going to dig deeper into the world of professional trading and show us how the stock market and technical analysis works. Let's go. I got my click ready to use the money they got from jobs and courage and teaching them that it's not so hard. I'm doing this, making investing pop. P-Law is extra. You tuning in to Stocks and Bars. Yo, Stocks and Bars, check this out here. The Empower Empire has continued to grow. So the guy that I have on with me today is a mastermind when it comes to reading charts. And I can say so because pretty much every read he has is the same as mine. <laughs> so I followed him on Facebook. And from there, we continue to have conversations and I've seen his ways and I wanted to be able to reach out to him and see if he come on the show and he willingly accepted. So finally, after us bouncing around our schedules, we made the time here we are today so stocks and bars check this out today i want you to welcome to the podcast mike tedeschi let's give him a round of applause thank you for spending some time with me today and let's talk about the market all right so first question i have for you is how did you get started in the market i have been trading professionally for about 15 years my passion has always been risk management and game theory. In fact, in college, I wrote my dissertation on game theory and gambling. I played a lot of poker back in the day. <laughs> um, the edge that we can get in the market is a lot better than at the poker table. Um, I got my degree in economics and uh, ultimately I headed down the path of sharing my journey with the internet. So I started a day trading chat room. I wrote a financial blog and uh, people certainly were interested in watching my journey from a novice into an actual professional. Um, the degree in economics is very useful, but in reality, the self-taught knowledge that you get from books, specifically, you know, we can go back a hundred years and they're still relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, reminiscence of a stock operator, uh, Jesse Livermore's life and the lessons that he has to teach in that book are absolutely spectacular and everybody should, should definitely check that out. Uh, How I Made $2 Million in the Market by Nicola Darvis. It's a fascinating that. story. Um, and the Darvis box still works today. The stuff that was working 100 years ago still works today because at the end of the day, what a stock chart is, is it's human emotion graphs. Yes, yes. Human beings don't change over time. So I have a bookcase in the background there. I've got hundreds upon hundreds of books. Um, I love to read. I love the markets. And um, about 15 years ago, I stopped doing this from a you know recreation standpoint and decided to really focus and make it my career. And I'm at the point now where I'm actually managing a number of in-house portfolios at the financial planning firm that we own. Um, so this is what I get to do all day, every day. And I absolutely love it. Hold on one second. Recording in progress. All right. Now, now that we got that question down, because a lot of people don't understand it, it really takes a while to build up to be an investor, a trader, or actually being a successful investor, a trader. I tell people a lot of times it really takes you about seven years in order to finally start to see a profit for the average investor, because you have to figure out who you are first. And in that phase, you're going to lose money. And then after that, you figure out what you're good at 
or what you did best at. And then once you figure that out, you, you start to pinpoint what you're really good at. And then that's when you start to build upon that to finally make some money. Do you find that to be the same exact path that you took? So if, or? if you're going about it willy nilly, like not, you know, treating it like a hobby instead of like a yeah. job, it can take that long. But if you really focus on doing a couple of things, which I'll certainly share with you guys today, you can really cut that time down. Yes, this is anything else. Like you, you don't become a doctor overnight and all of a sudden, you know, right. just start practicing medicine. You got to put the time, energy and effort into it. But there are some shortcuts that are there. Um, for starters, you need to journal everything that you're doing. The reason why, once you figure out how to trade stocks, the battle is not between you and the stock market. It's between you and yourself. Right. This is a, a really uh, mental game. And you can't get a full understanding of what's going on if you don't write it down. You can't remember why you did what you did six months ago, but if you have a detailed journal that says, I took this trade, I was seeing this, and this is how I felt at the time, you can go back and look at all of your numbers and go, well, man, every time I take this type of trade, it actually hasn't worked out. And you cut that out. It's called right. plugging your leaks, right? Find where you're losing money and remove that from the game, right? That can really help cut things down. Now, one question I got for you, you mentioned that you're a professional trader now, and I'm still a retail trader. You know, I, I still, I make maybe two to three trades max a month is what I do. And I completely take it to the simple steps because I remember overtrading insanity. And I remember when I first started trading, I used to trade anywhere between 50, 60, even 70 times in a month. One, because when I was with TD, not TD, I was with, uh, think or swim and they had an incentive that if you traded over 20 then it would pay your like uh, uh internet bill or something like that I was like, well, <laughs> all shoot, right i'll give that a try yeah. and cut my costs down why not <laughs> but i was giving them way more than that so anyway now that you become a professional doing it do you notice that there's any difference of information that you get professionally versus what the retail investor tends to get well, if you really wanted to pay for a Bloomberg terminal, you're getting information before everybody else does. So if you're an intraday trader trying to trade a lot of money, you probably want some better information. But if you're an investor, you don't really need that extra data. Because again, what we're looking at is we're looking at human emotion graph, right? right? right. And so one of the things that you should be able to do is remove the ticker that you're looking at, like the, the actual symbol, and just look at a chart and be able to determine the trend that it's going and where you think it, it ultimately is going to go. Um, you don't need a ton of information. If you're trading from a technical analysis standpoint, you need the chart, right? Mm -hmm. The great thing about doing this is there is a myriad of ways in which to be successful, right? You were very yes. active in the beginning, the over trading, right? You can be an intraday day trader and even intraday, there's multiple ways in which to trade. You can be the guy that's trying to pick up three or four cents, with a thousand shares and doing that 15, 20, 30 times a day, right? You can be that just looking for a fraction of a percent. So you're trading on a one minute chart. You're trying to capture 10, 15, 20 cents, call it, you know, call it a trade. Then there's other traders that are looking at 15 minute charts, looking to be in a, you know, a trade for like 45 minutes to an hour. Then there's some people that like to buy the breakout in the beginning of the day mm -hmm. and hold it until the end of the day. Right. And that's all intraday stuff. And then you've got options and futures and you can play the, the equities themselves. Right. 
And then from a swing trading standpoint, you can swing options overnight. You can be looking for three to five day type moves. You can be looking for three to five months moves, right? Everything that you do is the same from a technical standpoint. A one minute chart will give you the same patterns as a monthly chart. The difference is that one minute chart is going to play out in a five minute period. And that monthly chart is going to play out over the course of five months. So you got to understand internally yourself what you want to do. A lot right. of people like to try to trade because they're trying to replace their job and they're trying to free right. up time in their life, right? If you try to become an intraday day trader and a scalper, you are trading your nine to five job for sitting in front of a computer and trying to pick up those pennies. <laughs> you got to go to work every single day, right? If you're a swing trader, you need about a half an hour a day. Right, you got to look at the market open the first fifteen minutes. You got to look at the last fifteen minutes. And a lot of times, what you're doing on a breakout trade, a trader's plan, is you're buying a close over a particular level. So you need to see the last fifteen minutes of the day. So you can set up a watch list, a scanner, right, and fifteen minutes before the end of the day, go through each of those charts and figure out if there's any that you like to buy, and if there are, place the order. And if not, you don't do anything for the day. And then obviously you're managing your current positions. But there are so many different ways to go about it. It all depends on what you as an individual want to do. There's no one right way, right. right? The thing that every single successful trader investor has in common is one thing, risk management. It doesn't yes. matter what you're trading, how you're trading it. If you don't manage your risk, you're out of the game. Yep. One of the things I always tell people to do, especially when getting started, I mean, you laid it out. It takes a while to figure this out. The reason why most traders don't make it in this business is they run out of capital before they figure it out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they take an amount of money that they can't afford to lose and they trade way too big with it, trying to figure it out, right? The knowledge that you get from smaller trades and taking smaller risks are just as valuable as the ones you take with large trades and larger risks. And in the beginning, you need to realize you don't know what you're doing. So if you got $50,000 in your account, don't risk $1,000 a trade. You only have 50 trades that you can take. Right. Risk 100 bucks a trade, right? Now you're giving yourself the time to learn, right? And you're taking a lower risk on capital. If you lose $100, it's not a big deal. You lose 10, 10 times in a row, that's one trade if you're risking 1000 bucks a trade. And you're going to get 10 times the amount of knowledge doing it. So until you can be consistently profitable trading with a smaller amount of money that you're comfortable with losing, you should not move up. Right. right. I uh, Listen, this is why I said we are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit to anybody that risk management is the absolute last part that I got when I started to learn how to trade because I was I was trading way too big and I knew that. But. I was chasing the risk because I was trying to replace my job. So I also was looking at it from the perspective of getting the money. And so now from that experience, I learned that it's not about the money. It's about the trade. It's always going to be about the trade because the money is the byproduct of the trade. So yep. you have to put yourself in a trade that has a high success rate in order to make the money. Now, if you go trying to say, I need $10,000 and trying to find a $10,000 trade, you'll find that $10,000 trade. But is it going to be a high probability trade? <laughs> There's another no. question there for sure. <laughs> That's the thing that I learned along the way. So, yes, I 100% agree. I want to go back to the technical analysis standpoint of things. 
you hinted upon how people have to figure out who they are, because like you said, this is a you versus you game and you really have to understand what type of style works with your personality. Like you mentioned, there's a whole different way of making money and all of them are correct. And I, I see the same exact way, the same thing. Anybody can make money in this game. It's all about how it works with you. If you're a person that has the patience in order to sit down in front of a screen and, and do that, then more power to you. I figured it out. That's not me <laughs> very early on. <laughs> now, I also try to use fundamental analysis. I try to do penny stocks. I tried to do Forex. There's a whole list of things that I tried, but found out it wasn't me. So when it came to you and your early style, what did you try first before you figured out that technical analysis is the thing that you love? Technical analysis was more of my focus from the get-go. Um, okay. I had some understanding from a fundamental standpoint, but I did what most people did. I started playing... Uh, the mistake most people make is they want the comeback story, right? <laughs> they look for the cheaper dollar amount stocks. They're like, oh, this stock's trading at five bucks and if it goes to a hundred, I'm gonna make 20 times of my money. And usually it's trading for $5 for a reason. Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, nowadays when I'm, when I'm looking for a company, I mean, I filter it by, I don't want anything underneath $2 billion market cap. I don't okay. want anything beyond, you know, anything underneath of that. It needs to trade at least a million shares a day. I need liquidity. I need, My man. Be, <laughs> I need it to be optionable, not because I necessarily want to trade options on it, but because that means it's a more established piece. There's a lot more going on in that particular name. And again, it's a liquidity component. Um, and then I'm looking at breakout stocks. I'm looking at stocks that are making new 52-week highs. And then I'm comparing that against their all-time highs as well and, and, and seeing what works. Yes. But when we get started, I mean, those penny stocks, it's really, it's really exciting to say, I just bought 30,000 shares or something, right? <laughs> it was only $30, but I mean, I got 30,000 shares. Imagine this goes to a dollar, right? I'm the boss. <laughs> exactly. But the, the, the unfortunate thing is that those, those areas of the market are really ripe for pump and dump schemes. Yes. They really are. When you come across a, a stock on social media that somebody's pumping out, you know, and writing this article, it's going to change the world. And you pull up a stock chart and the thing's trading for two cents. Run. <laughs> go the other way. It's not going to go well for you. I mean, sometimes they do. They, they make some big returns in a very short period of time, but they almost always go down. Um, because there's an entire industry around that. Right, if right. I'm an insider in a company and I got a whole bunch of shares that I want to dump. What, what am I going to do? Am I going to go gonna dump it into article, something? That, I'm going to pump it as much as I possibly exactly, can. Exactly. Yep. It's going to go up. We're going to talk about all these things. And then I'm going to sell it and try to get the most amount of money out of it. And unfortunately, that's the reality in that in that arena. That doesn't happen with large cap companies. Right. Right. Apple's not doing pump and dumps. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't happen. All right. Um, so I really think that when you figure out what it is you're trying to do, focus in on an area of the market that you can grow into. If you're playing little tiny micro cap penny stocks and the liquidity, if you know, is they're only trading fifty thousand total dollars in a day, how are you ever going to grow in that market? Right, right, right. When, when your account grows, you figure everything out. You can't put enough money into these trades for it to matter. You can't buy five or ten grand worth of that if there's fifty thousand dollars total in the whole day. You'll move the price 15, 20 percent on yourself. It's not sustainable. Right, right. 
So think about if I am going to be the super, super successful, what do I need to play and learn how to play in that arena so that you can grow into it. That's my two cents. Man, listen, you hit my heart when you talked about the liquidity because I found that out the hard way. And I remember when I was trading Priceline when it was PCLN. And at that point in time, it was maybe trading about like 500,000 a day or something like that. And I remember sitting in that trade waiting for mine to get executed and it just would not <laughs> I'm like it's hitting it i see it hitting and it never executed until later on and i had to move my limit lower for it to finally get out of it but then that's when i learned my liquidity lesson i said okay no more and i do the same exact thing one million per day average is what it is and then i got real snobby and i wanted it three million per day because i don't want any excuses to not get out and I limited myself to specific stocks that I actually got pretty good at. And that's how my trading journey really started to kick in the gear once I figured out, one, the stocks that I'm really good at, and two, having the rules. So back to the rules here. You mentioned the whole thing about the liquidity. What other rules do you have for a stock that you will not touch it if it meets this criteria? Well, one of the things I would definitely suggest when you look at a chart is large giant gaps are usually red flags, okay? And and usually that comes in the biotech space, yes. right? The reason being the FDA didn't approve their drug or the FDA did approve their drug, you get these wild price swings, okay? So when you're looking at a stock chart and it's got huge gaps, that means there's, there was a massive misunderstanding between the information that was presented and, and what the market was thinking. And those are very difficult and they're very dangerous, right? When I buy, let's say, Apple stock, I know we got four earnings, right? And sometimes they've got their days where they, you know, they'll release a new phone or whatever. I know what the news events are, right? Those biotech stocks, yeah, they have four earnings a year, just like everybody else, but then they have the FDA announcements. And if you're not paying really close attention, you can find yourself in a stock that's got an FDA announcement. And sometimes these things get leaked before they're, they're supposed yep. to come out too. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, boom, you're down 50% overnight. So I'm not saying never touch those things, but I have an extra rule from a risk management standpoint in an individual name, okay? I won't risk more than 1% of my account on any individual trade, okay? Mm, okay. So if I'm doing a calculation, let's say, for example, I got $100 stock, right? And uh, $90 is the the my stop, okay? So I'm risking $10 a share. I can buy 100 shares of that, right? okay? Because that, you know, that would equal 1%. Um, but if I had a really tight stop, let's say the stop was two bucks, well, I could buy five times as much. So I could buy 500 shares, but now that's $50,000. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden that's 50% of my account. So, if something crazy happens overnight, I could conceivably lose 50% of my capital overnight. Right. So I limit the, the percentage of my portfolio I'll put into a stock. Even if that stop is really tight and I could buy more, I'm not going to. And I keep it at 10% maximum. And really, I don't really like to go over about 5%. Okay. So if I put 5% in a biotech stock that had a really good chart and it goes to zero overnight, ouch, but it's 5%. Right. We can get that back. That's 50%. I now got to double my account to get back to even. You got to make 100%. 5%. I got to make like 6% to get back to even. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not a great feeling, but it's not a big deal. Right. Okay. So there's, there's extra rules and layers of risk management that go in on that. 50% loss, 100% gain. 
That's what Correct. people have to understand. You got to do. And I learned my rule is maximum 20% loss. That's me. That's what I'm willing to do. And everybody has their own appetite for risk. And the reason why is because it takes a 25% gain in order to get back 20%. And I figured that's, that's exactly the limit of what I am willing to lose because I feel like I can make a 25% return in order to do that. That's me. That's anybody else. You, you can do your own math for how it works for you and you feel comfortable. But that's the way that I like to do it. That's my risk management. Tops. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and if you want to play around with that, there's something called a risk of ruin calculator, which is something you should definitely play with in the beginning. Because let's put it this way. Let's say, for example, I win 90% of my trades. Does that make me a profitable trader? No. <laughs> it, might, it might not, depending on what that risk to reward is, right. right? So, you know, you can be a profitable trader and only win 20% of your trades if all of your winners are 10x, right? So, but you have to know your numbers. And right. so a risk of ruin calculator allows you to go and put in the pieces of information you need to know about your system. Your win rate, what percentage of the time are you actually winning a trade? I'm going to tell you this right now. Like if you're talking about day traders and things of that nature, 50% of the time would be really, really good, Yeah. right? <laughs> right. But they're winning one and a half or two to one. So think about it this way. If we were flipping a coin and it comes up heads, you owe me five bucks. And if it comes up tails, I owe you $10. You'd flip that coin all the time, as many times <laughs> as you can flip it, right? Because it would work. So you need to know your, your win rate, but you need to know your risk to reward. And those two things together are going to give you an, an, an output. And the last piece of that is how much can you risk per trade? Because a risk of ruin calculator is looking at those two factors plus the percentage risk that you're taking per trade and showing you over the course of 100 or 1,000 trades what's your likelihood of blowing up your account is. And I think usually they set it to 30%. So anything underneath 30% would be considered ruin in, in, yeah. in these calculators, right? So what you'll notice is even if you have really good numbers, like you're a 50-50 trader who's getting two to one risk to reward and you risk 10% per trade, the likelihood you're going broke, 100%, <laughs> right? Because you're risking too much too per much, trade. Right. But if you bring it down to like 2% or 1%, all of a sudden your risk of ruin is like 0.01%. Figure out where the numbers are before you get into this really far because you have to avoid those large down draws. Just exactly what you said. 20%, you get 25 back. Right, fifty percent, right. you got to double the account. Ninety percent, right. you get nine hundred percent return to get back to even. <laughs> like, it's not happening. Right, it, not you're like in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. So keep the losses small. That's that's the most important piece of doing this. Very simple analysis, right there. Keep the losses small. Although a lot of people continue to get affected by what you and I know very well, emotion. And what we do is we look at the chart in order to help us gauge what investor emotion is going through. And that's all a pattern is, is just a human emotion. I like to correlate this to sports because I play basketball. And anytime we got a scouting report and you got something on a player, it would tell you the tendencies of what that player would do. Drive left, drive light, right. They would do this move here this is where they like their spot so you would cater your defense in order to figure out how to defend that player that's all the chart is doing is helping you with the scouting report to say okay the price likes to move here here if it gets here this is where likely buyers would like to step in sellers like to come in here that's all the chart is doing 
Now, a lot of people get turned off by it because it, it's it can be intimidating looking. OK, it can be intimidating looking because of everything moving very fast, green and red, all this thing. And, and it just looks like a, a monster to some people. My specialty is helping people to understand that you can do this. Trust me. I say that because I'm not necessarily from the streets, but I know the street life. And I know that if I can do it, anybody can do this stuff. So what are some some basics that you can tell somebody in order to learn about technical analysis? Well, before we get right into the technical analysis piece, one of the things that you did throw out was the emotional component. Yes. The reason why people lose in trades. One of the biggest reasons is that they're trading too big. Yep. And all of a sudden it matters. Right. Think about it this way. If you sit down at a blackjack table and you're playing for a dollar a hand. Do you really care what the outcome is? Probably not. No, right. If you're playing for $10,000 a hand, you're sweating. You're, I mean, you're shaking. You're like, oh my goodness. I'm <laughs> you know, if you find yourself upset with what's going on in a trade, you're trading too big. Yep. No individual trade should matter. You shouldn't care what happens. Like we obviously want to win, but you have to realize I'm playing a game of probabilities. If I'm going to win 60% of the time, that means four out of 10 times I'm going to lose. Right. If me losing the trade that I'm in is making me uncomfortable, I'm in the wrong business right. or I'm trading way too big, right? Because I obviously can't afford to lose it. But you need to plan your trade out before you enter it. <laughs> yes, All right. And here's, here's the reason yeah. why, right? And this is why I hate paper trading, okay? Paper trading is like playing poker for no money, like play money <laughs> poker. People do not act rationally. Right. I'm all in. I'm all in. OK, yep. I have seven, two. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I just want to see if I can beat you. Like there's <laughs> nothing behind it. And it's the same kind of thing with paper trading. Um, so before you enter a trade, you are as smart as you are ever going to be. All right. As soon as you enter the trade, you become an idiot. All right. You become an emotional <laughs> idiot because there's something on the line. All right. So if you don't have a plan written down before you enter the trade, you get into the what, what should I do? Well, I should move my stop uh, because now there's another level of support or I should take my profit because I'm green and I should just put the money in my pocket yep, even though it's yep. nowhere near your target. There's something called an OCO order, which I think is fantastic for people starting out. It's one, one cancels, cancels other. other. Yep. <laughs> right. So when you enter a trade, you enter at $100. You put a OCO order with a stop at 95 and a sell target at 110 just as an example. In this example, you're risking $5 to win $10. You're getting two to one. All this bet is, is that 110 is going to get hit before 95. Anything it does in between doesn't matter. Right. Right. So what I see people do all the time is it gets to 96.50. Right. And they're like, oh, man, I know it's going to 95. It's going to stop me out. I'm just going to book the loss right now. I'm just going to get out because I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and then sure enough, it turns around and reverses and goes up and hits the target. I'm like, Why? Because you didn't follow your plan. Right. And everybody, you know, there's a lot of people doing a very similar thing. Like, I don't want it to break below that level. So uh, because then there, maybe there's big slippage and I'll take a bigger loss. and I don't want to lose. And now we're making mistakes. If you put an OCO bracket order in and just walk away, you don't need to watch it. Once you're in it, you can't control anything. Right. You can't control the market. You have no control over that. Right. So you have to have a plan. That's the most important thing. And the plan comes from your charts, yes. right? Or, or, you know, however you've built out your ultimate trading plan. 
I see people draw 900 different things on their charts. They got lines all over the place. And then they're adding all these things. They're like, all right, I'm going to put the Bollinger Bands. I'm going to have the RSI. I'm going to have the advanced decline line. And then over here, I'm going to have, well, I'm going to put seven moving averages in. Here's what happens when that happens. Number one, you get a whole bunch of things telling you one thing and some things telling you something else. Yep. So which ones do you listen to? So for every one of those things to line up, it doesn't happen very often. Okay. So a lot of good trades you're missing. And then even if they all line up, you're still not necessarily going to win every time because there is no 100% winning trading scenario, okay? So you get kind of analysis paralysis. But the reality is, is when you throw all those different things on the chart, you're missing what the chart really is. And the chart is a battleground between areas of price action, right. okay? The market, when the market comes down to a level and holds there and turns around and goes back up, what, what happened? Buyers and sellers came to an agreement that this shouldn't be any lower. So if you were short and you shorted it all the way down to this level, what's happening at this level? The short person is going, I don't think it's going any lower. They buy and it holds on to that zone. And a buyer's looking at it going, man, this is a really good discounted price. I like this stock right here. Right. I'm going to buy. So th that's that zone at the bottom of that chart is both sellers and buyers are saying it shouldn't be lower than this. The zone at the top of the chart is the exact opposite. When it gets back up to, to that top of the chart, now, this, now the, the people that bought it are, I don't think it's going to go higher. I'm going to be happy to take my profit. And the short sellers are looking, well, this is pretty juicy up here. This is a little expensive. <laughs> I think I'm going to make some money. So they start shorting and you start heading back the other way. If you can figure out where those battlegrounds are, all you got to do is figure out who wins that battle. If they're able to blow it, through that ceiling, what's happened is, is the market has now said, you know what? We're not supposed to be in this range anymore. Something changed. We think it's more valuable and up the price goes. Yep. That's all Nicola Darvis did 100 years ago. Dude, the guy was doing it on telegrams from foreign countries. He was by hand printing it down on a piece of paper and writing what the, the, the trade, what the uh, prices were. And he would watch the stock go between 10 and $20, 10 and $20 for like two, three months. And then all of a sudden, one day it would go to 22 bucks and he would buy it because that battle happened. There was a new winner and the direction is determined. Going up, yep. And what he figured out was the size of that range. It's usually about how far it, it goes in the next move. Yes. It kind of moves in blocks, <laughs> right? So there's a $10 block. We've just broken out. I could probably get $10. Yep. And that was his strategy. All right. And it worked and it still works. So if you find those rectangle patterns where price is trading between two levels for six months, eight months, nine months, and then it leaves, that's a really good opportunity. Doesn't work 100% of the time, <laughs> right. right? That might work 65% of the time in certain market conditions, maybe 70% of the time. But that's certainly enough to give you a mathematical edge over 100, over 1,000 trades. That's all this is. Right? It's a game of numbers. And if you're focused on one trade and one trade only, it's not good because you need to have a hundred of those same trades to see your edge. All right. You flip a coin and it comes up heads five times in a row, it doesn't mean the next one's going to be heads. Right. Right. It might feel that way. And that's why when you walk by a roulette table, they have the black and red numbers on the side of the thing. You see like seven blacks in a row, you're like, I can't be black again, and, you, and you'll go place your bet. I'll place it on red this time, and it shows up black again. You're like, what? Each <laughs> of those instances was 50-50, assuming there was no you know, green squares on, on roulette. The other previous outcomes don't matter. You know, it's a 50-50 bet every single time. But over the course of 10,000 
spins of the roulette wheel, those things will line up pretty darn close to that 50-50 zone. Yes. And that's what we have to realize as traders. We're, we're trying to make a plan that we can replicate 100 times and have an edge over the next 100 trades. Part two of this conversation coming up next. If you like what you heard, make sure that you follow me on Instagram, that's Wincrease Team, or follow me on YouTube, search Stocks and Hip Hop. The podcast, Stocks and Bars Podcast. And I'll see you for part two. Stocks and Bars, Stocks and Bars, Stocks and Bars, Stocks and Bars.